be seated. And we continue in our study of Peter's second letter. If you have a Bible and you'd like to turn there with me, we turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. We've been going uh, rather slowly through this uh, summary of the Christian faith and life. We make a little more progress today. I uh, don't want to alarm anyone, but we'll cover four verses in one sermon. And I know I've been preaching some longer sermons of late. I'm going to try to be on better behavior. You'll be glad to know. And uh, we, we turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. And let's pick up um, reading. Well, I, I hate to just leave out the context. Let's at, least read, let's at least read from the beginning. But we will consider down to verse 15 today. Let's read together. The word of the Lord. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and is forgotten. <clears throat> that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I, I am in this tent to reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put a tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Amen. Well, let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray that we, likewise, having this needful reminder, might be stirred up in the truth that we have believed, the precious faith we have received in Jesus, the exceedingly great and precious promises. We pray that these things being put before us would stir us up to greater deeds of love and experiences of joy and the knowledge of your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Who controls the past controls the future. And who controls the present controls the past. 
Those uh, words are from George Orwell's chilling novel, 1984, which I read in high school. Uh, Its main character, Winston, works for a communist government in an office whose job it is to rewrite history. The government knows that as long as they can tell people the story of where they've come from, they can control where they are going. And the key to the future is controlling the past. There is, you know, a great contest going on to control the past, and not just in our nation and our time. This contest has always gone on. It is, of course, particularly obvious to us at the moment with uh, things like search engines and social media manipulation making headlines every day, only proving Orwell's fears right. But the point is, we do get our identity and purpose for the future from remembering. And when we lose our identity and purpose by forgetting, we are in dire straits indeed. The meaning of life is to be found in the past for the Christian. And God's holy people will be vulnerable unless we can remember. For why is it, I ask you, that God's people seem always to depart from them? Why is it that so many generations and generations of God's people left the Lord? It's a question that every interested reader of the Bible has to ask sooner or later. I mean, from the very beginning from that generation coming out of Egypt, after all that God had done for Israel, after all the power and grace he had shown her, after all that he had done, how could she have so easily betrayed him for the idols of the very nations he had defeated by the power of God? You know, you, you always find in the Bible that a time of spiritual indifference, of coldness, of deadness and a neglect of the people of God. 150-year dark downward spiral for the people of God. Why did that happen? We, it says it right at the beginning of the book. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, which he had done for Israel, they forgot. And so it goes throughout the scriptures. Moses said, of the very generation that came out of Egypt and Pat had done for Israel, they forgot the miserable slavery they were in when the Lord found them and the heights of wonder to which the Lord raised them. They forgot the great promises that he had given them. Similarly, Jeremiah commands the people to stand in the old ways, to ask for the old paths. The prophets Hosea and Ezekiel charged the people with the sin of forgetting the earlier days. We sing in Psalm 78 about how we will teach our children that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. It may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation who forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. And so it goes down through biblical history to the book of Revelation, where we find the beginning of Christ's letters to the churches The Lord charges the church at Ephesus with a failure of memory. You've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent. And do the first works, or I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand. In the Bible, 
forgetting and remembering are spiritual acts that are tantamount to unbelief and faith. David puts it this way in Psalm 143, how a believer is to remember on purpose. He says, I will remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. Or at a time of creeping doubt and discouragement, the wise author of Psalm 77 says, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High, the turning point of that psalm. I will remember the works of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. Who is so great a God as our God? In other words, remembering on purpose is a necessary exercise of faith and an important means of strengthening us in the present and in the future. Well, I'll say all this by way of introduction because this is exactly what Peter is after as we read this next section of his letter. He says... You notice his language. He intends to remind his readers. And then to stir them up by way of reminder. So that when he's gone, they'll have a reminder of these things. Peter wants them to remember. And he doesn't mind repeating himself. If you're a parent, you've done the very same thing with your children. You've said, how many times have I had, do I have to tell you? And the obvious answer is at least one more. Because <laughs> you haven't got it yet. Remembering is an important part of life in general, but especially of the life of faith in order to keep our faith living and active and strong. And I'd like to consider with you from this passage three things that he wishes us clearly to remember. Remember what we've been taught. Remember that we're on a pilgrim journey. And to remember to keep the truth before us always. Here's my three points for today. First, remember what you've been taught. Remember what you've been taught. I can summarize my first point to you this way. No matter where you are in the Lord and your Christian walk, you need to be reminded of these basic truths of the faith that you may be strong. I read a terrifying story about a woman in Texas who was on the way to work. She got on the freeway, and uh, she passed her exit, and she passed another exit. She kept on going. And by the time she got to the next town, she just pulled over because of a stroke or something. She realized that she had forgotten not only where she was going, but where she lived and where she worked and even who she was and many basic things of her life. The uh, hospital had to, had to get her driver's license and remind her of her name and address. Can you imagine the terror of not knowing who you are and where you're going? I tell you, most people in the world are living in just such a state. And we, even we, find it easy to forget. Peter acknowledges in this letter, he's not saying anything new. Nothing his readers don't already know and haven't been told. You are established in the truth, he says. This is 
This is the same old stuff. And I think that statement serves as an antidote to the false teachers who draw in unsuspecting people with their new, novel ideas. They've got some new things to teach you. Peter says, I'm just going over the old ground. Peter, I suppose, could have, if he wanted to, focused on some esoteric teaching of the faith. But instead, where has he taken us? Right back to the basics. Because he says he wants them to be established in the present truth after he goes. Sound teachers stick to central truths. Sound teachers stick to central truths. Beware when you get bored of the things that Peter calls precious faith, exceedingly great and precious promises. Beware. Because in these verses, Peter is simply underscoring the central importance of what we've already been told. And since he says he's about to depart from this life, these solemn words become a kind of final testament, emphasizing the great importance of what he's saying. You know, a good man's dying words should be listened to carefully. And this is what he has chosen to give them. He's told us of the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who's given us everything for life and godliness through the knowledge of Christ, that we may be partakers of the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world by lust and so forth. And Peter has then motivated us by telling us all the benefits of adding to our faith and growing in grace, that we will be fruitful and faithful and have spiritual vision and presence of mind and be firmly established, not to stumble, and assured of our eternal salvation and enjoy a glorious entry into heaven. These are the things that need to captivate our hearts every day. Now, we've all had a basic grounding in the faith. We know these things. I hope I've not told you anything new so far in this sermon series. Peter's point is we we always need reminders of them because knowing something isn't the same as remembering something. It's one thing if you can recall something deep in your mind from long ago. It's not the same thing as having the truth as an active presence and power in your mind and heart. For the truths that transform us need to be presented to us again. Peter doesn't mind saying, this is what you most need to hear. As I depart... I simply am saying, remember what you've already been taught. Very different from those false teachers that have some new ideas for you. Second, he tells them, remember that you're on a pilgrim journey. Remember that you're on a pilgrim journey. One of the benefits of a fruitful and faithful life that he mentions in verse 11 is that an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, what a day that will be! Um, And uh, that's not as clearly worded, uh, though it's very close to the original. Um, But a paraphrase, I think, will give you more of the sense. One paraphrase reads that God will give you a rich entrance into the eternal kingdom. That's a nice way to put it. Just think about your homecoming pilgrims. That's what you need to keep in mind as you 
walk pilgrims through this barren land. In fact, about himself, you notice Peter twice uses the word tent to describe his own body. Did you notice that? Tents are temporary dwellings used by people away from home. Peter would have us remember that we are pilgrims. In fact, he even addressed his first letter to the church in that way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims. 1-1. He goes on with several other references, including 2-11 and 12. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, and so forth. Now, to us, the word pilgrim especially this time of year, I suppose, reminds us of certain quaint folk who came over on the Mayflower in the 1620s with bad fashion sense. We think about them wearing broad-brimmed hats, but we don't identify much with them. In fact, we are pilgrims. And your hat, that's optional. This is a major theme in the Bible, And it used to be a major theme among Christians, but today I think it's strangely absent from Christian thinking. In fact, to my knowledge, there are no recent Christian books on the subject of our Christian pilgrimage. Although, of course, the second best-selling book in history is on this theme exactly, which is The Pilgrim's Progress. Very good. Um, My subject is Pilgrim Life. The fact that we are just passing through this life, it's a neglected subject. Being a pilgrim simply isn't an important model for the Christian life uh, today, for people today. We, We as Christians are, I think, conditioned by our culture to think of the here and now. What does Christ and following him mean for my marriage? How will it help me raise my kids? How will it help me succeed in my career? How can I overcome personal problems? How can I feel fulfilled? All good questions, but our eternal home seems like it's not in our minds, or it's perhaps a nice bonus at the end of this ride. It's not our focus. It's not our goal. We don't view ourselves as a pilgrim people. We've traded the sweet by and by for the sweet here and now. Heaven, says one person, I haven't even seen Hawaii yet. Howard Hendricks once said, most people think that they're in the land of the living heading toward the land of the dead. But the truth is, we're in the land of the dying heading toward the land of the living. As a young man, Jonathan Edwards resolved to think much on all occasions of his dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. It might sound morbid, but he did want to remember that this life is anything but certain, and he wanted to remember he's a a pilgrim through this barren land. Now, if you're just living right now for the good life that being a Christian gives you, which it does, You won't last a minute under persecution. You won't be able to withstand the temptations and desires to indulge that Peter speaks about. If you are not focused on God himself and being home with him forever, if you're only focused on enjoying your best life now, 
you are going to have a very shallow form of Christianity. A traveler doesn't live according to the customs and standards of the foreign country. Okay, maybe for the sake of not offending people, you might temporarily adopt some customs if there's no sin in it. I mean, some countries, for instance, it's, it's rude to eat French fries with your hands. You have to use a knife and fork. Okay, well, for the sake of politeness, maybe you'll do it, but as soon as you get back home, you do it the American way, the right way, okay? <laughs> Similarly, as citizens of heaven, we live according to different standards than the people that are on the earth. We are different. God has made the difference, and all of us very soon will be home and standing before the Lord. Every one of you here, think of this, every one of you here will very soon either be receiving commendation or condemnation. Which will it be with you? If I can help you change that eternal destiny today, I will have done you great service. Please see me after the service as I would help you find the Lord. Because on that day, I guarantee you want to hear, well done good and faithful servant, and have an abundant welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So living as a pilgrim, our heart is fixed on our heavenly home. And if it is, we will be strong to live by that country's standards, to live as we ought and not as the natives of this passing world. We must be focused not on the things that are seen at the moment, but the things that are unseen, the things that are eternal. And also, a pilgrim views things differently than a permanent resident. He, he just longs for home, right? I mean, if you, if you stay at a hotel, you don't get too attached. You don't move in your own furniture and put up your own pictures on the walls. It's, it's just a foreign place where you must stay on your journey. But your heart is set on your home. Samuel Rutherford said, Christ had run away to heaven with his heart. That's the mindset. There's nothing wrong and everything right about enjoying all the blessings of the Christian life that God is freely bestowing upon us. All that we enjoy is his rich gift, richly to be enjoyed, says the apostle elsewhere. But we must hold the things of this life loosely. And we must remember the foundational difference. We're pilgrims on a journey home. Third and finally, remember to keep the truth before you. Not only remember what you've been taught, remember that you are a pilgrim, remember that you need to keep the truth before you. John Newton, you might know, often made shipwreck, often, or rather say, almost, Often, almost, a little hard to say together, too many, uh, almost lost his way several times through his failure to remember. His spiritual autobiography is sprinkled with him saying, I forgot, I soon forgot, this too I totally forgot. When he finally recognized his danger and the reason for it, and knew that there were certain things he needed to remember. He had a text 
in large letters hung over the mantle of his fireplace where he would see it every day. Deuteronomy 15, 15. And you'll know this is how this was true of, of, of him. Thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Newton was a slave, and Christ had set him free. And whenever he forgot this, he was in great trouble. He needed to remember it every day. Now, Peter isn't necessarily recommending putting a text over your fireplace. But he does have a particular aid to memory in mind as he writes this letter. Um, We'll start with this, verse 15. Moreover, he says, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Well, that's an interesting verse. How is he going to make sure (laughs) that they will have reminders after his death? Some some say he's referring to this this letter, but that's a very strange way of describing what you're writing at the moment. He doesn't say, I am being careful, but I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder. It seems much likely that Peter is referring to what we know as the Gospel of Mark. Peter's Gospel, written down by his fellow missionary and younger assistant, Mark. Well, old, old people, you know, eyes aren't as good. You always have to have some young guy writing for you. And uh, certainly by tradition anyway, Mark is just writing Peter's gospel testimony. Okay, that's a little speculative. We don't know exactly what he means, saying that I will be careful to have a reminder of these things. I, I will point out, though, this, this we know for sure, in this case... In the very next paragraph, Peter goes on to commend God's word to them and their attention. So it seems likely that uh, this follows on. Moreover, I'll be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we didn't follow cunningly devised fables. We made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received from the God the Father... Uh, glory and honor and so forth. He goes on to describe the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus, of which he was only one of three witnesses. It left an indelible mark on him as he heard the voice of, of God. He saw the glory of God. But, but Peter then says that there's something even more for us. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy came by the will of man, not not by the will of man, but holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So Peter says, you know, I, I had this tremendous experience, but really those dramatic, unforgettable events simply confirmed the prophetic word, which you have as well as me, the word of God itself, even in those remarkable days when astonishing miracles were seen, the foundation of every godly life has always been 
the revelation of God in Scripture and the great salvation and the will for our lives that they record. God has done great things for us. And in our Christian experiences, we think back on how He's blessed us and what He's done. Those things do encourage us. But there will rarely be enough in your everyday Christian experience to sustain a deep love for God and neighbor or hunger and thirst for righteousness or to have patience in trial or to grow in godliness as you ought. For all these things, we need the the great eternal truths of God's Word. I mean, the great reason I'm a Christian is not because I have my best life now. It's because Jesus Christ has died on the cross for my sins and risen for my justification. And that is something I must read. You must keep the truth before you. Keep setting it before you. It's just these great events and the teaching of the Word of God that we tend to forget. Not forget like we can't recall them, but forget as an active presence in our mind. This is what is concerning Peter. There's a great difference between knowing a fact and living under the impression of that fact, of living according to the fact, living in the conscious awareness of it. There's a great difference between possessing the truth, in the sense that you can call it to mind, or having it as an ever-constant influence on your thinking and behavior. Your feelings may be up and down, your Christian experience, day-to-day, stronger or weaker. Those things cannot be said about the facts. Just the facts, ma'am. Christ has come as your Savior. That's a fact. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He's given His life as a ransom for you. He's loved you and given Himself for you. Fact. And because of those facts... You have great eternal hope, as do I. And we need to remember such facts in our lives. We need to set them before us. We need to have God's goodness to us and giving us His Son before us. And therefore, we must attend to God's Word. We can remember the same way that the ancient church can remember. We can read the Scriptures which the Holy Spirit has inspired for us. Why, I tell you, There is more than enough in one chapter of this gospel to enable and inspire you to live high above the ground, to live your life in love and joy, to endure sufferings with patience and goodwill, to overcome temptations with a ready will, to serve God faithfully and usefully in this world. But how quickly... These great truths seem to just recede from our minds. And unless we, like David says, I will remember, they will not be before us as they need to be. So it was that Peter saw it as he finishes his race, as the culmination of his life's work, to remind us of the truth he's taught us. Challenge us to live as pilgrims. To tell us to set these truths before us in the same way. 
This will be his life's work to remind us of the truth. It is the calling of the Christian ministry to remind you of the same. It is the great calling of Christian parents to remind their children of this truth every day. It is the urgent need of every Christian to remind himself or herself of this truth again and again and again, always to remind ourselves so as to make it a living power in our, in our daily life. Every day, point three, remember to keep the truth before you. A good New Year's resolution, no? Okay. So this is the burden of the apostle. In conclusion, you must remember the great things that the Lord has done for us all. Now, you might do so in a variety of ways. Maybe you'll put a text over your mantel place. Maybe like one man I read about, you can even have a neat pile of stones in your living room. That was an interesting suggestion. But in one way or another, we can't let ourselves forget these things. Speaking of Pilgrim's Progress, there's something that we learn in the second part of Pilgrim's Progress that we didn't, that we weren't told in the first part. In part one, we read about that great battle that Christian fought with Apollyon in the Valley of Humiliation, a battle with the devil where he was badly wounded, in fact, nearly overcome. But then in part two, we learned that that valley of battle lay just past the place called Forgetful Green. Greatheart says, Forgetful Green is the most dangerous place in all these parts. Bunyan knew just how vulnerable we are to attack from the evil one when we forget Especially, Greatheart says, when we forget the favors that we've received and how unworthy we are of them. A uh, little ad for Steve Kellum's uh, Sunday School in the coming year is going to be back on this theme of Pilgrim's Progress. If only we could always live in the memory of the time when it was just made so plain to you. Do you remember when the Christ was with you as clearly as if you were standing or walking right beside you? or the time that you were just overcome with the joy of your salvation, or that time when your prayers were heard and answered so strikingly that it seemed like the Lord himself had come down to work that for you, or the time that you fell into some sin and there realized just how wicked and foolish and how unworthy such sin is against the God who loves you. Or that time when God's forgiveness just came flooding into your soul like a river that washed everything away and left it clean. How our lives would be empowered if memories like these were fresh in our mind, kept fresh to prove God's faithful to us at every moment. The Lord has thrilled us and cast us down. He's provided for us and carried us through trials. He's kept his promises and made us feel the force of his word time and time again. How differently I say we would live if we could always remember those things, if we were always conscious of those experiences of the past that meant so much to us at the time. Oh, cursed forgetfulness. How many times have we found ourselves worrying about this, worrying about that, 
just forgetting how the Lord has so wonderfully cared for us in the past. Are his mercies gone? He who didn't spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with us also, with him also freely give us all things? The Lord has done great things for us. He has for me and he has for you. We must set these things before our eyes. And do not allow yourself for a single moment to forget the Lord and the great works he has done for you. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would seal such wondrous truths from your word to our hearts, burn them into our minds and memories, that we might know not only the assurance of the fullness of your love and never stumble and have such sight and strength as you describe, but that we might be made strong in our journey, that we might have our heart set on heaven where Christ has run away with it,